Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. where the clock is counting down and the team we want to win, the team the hero, the protagonist is on, is down by one point, down by one shot, and he's like driving down the court and you know, everybody's hearts start beating in rhythm with the ball and the crowd starts standing up, you know, and it moves into slow motion and the sound drops away and you hear the buzzer as the ball goes into the air and then all of a sudden he makes the shot and hopefully that doesn't break anything and um, he scores. And the crowd, all of a sudden, all the sound comes back and the music comes back and everybody's dancing and they're like, yes, at the last minute, right at the buzzer, he came through, the ball squished in the basket, they won the game. And most of the time, that's what we want our steps of faith to be like. We want to be in this situation where we're like, we're down by one point, we need this, and God just comes in and dunks it. He supernaturally shows up and shows off right in time to save the day, to win the game. But what I've found in my life is, God usually waits till after the buzzer, after it looks like the game is lost, after everybody's cleaned up, they've mopped the basketball floor, and everybody's left defeated and dejected, and that's when God shows up in our step of faith. Sometimes he, he seems to wait until the game is over to step in and intervene. Sometimes it seems like our step of faith is dead in the water before God shows up. Sometimes it feels like our God-sized dream is past its expiration date, and then God steps in. And somewhere we've decided how long things should take, and we think, at this point I should own a home, or at this point I should be married, or at this point I should accomplish this. Or we think, with this God-sized dream, it should reach this point at this level, or within my five-year plan, I should be here at this point. And when things don't happen in our expected window of time, we just give up on them. We're like, I guess it's not going to happen. Maybe experts have told us, well, if it doesn't happen at this point, it's not going to happen. Or maybe the majority of people have told you, if it doesn't happen by this time, it's just not going to happen. But God rarely works within the window of availability that we give Him. He rarely works within the window of availability that we expect Him to. Sometimes we give up on God-sized dreams way too soon. Sometimes I give up on God-sized dreams way too soon. And I started thinking about people who later in their life accomplished great things. Because I think sometimes we think that if we don't do something when we're young, or if we don't do something within this limited window, it'll just never happen. Stan Lee, I think we have a picture up here. There he is. Stan Lee didn't write his first comic until he was 40 years old. If you're a Marvel guy, he's hidden in all the Marvel movies, right? He, he created iconic characters like Spider-Man and Wolverine, the X-Men. You know, he, he has all these iconic comic book characters he created, but he didn't even write a comic book until he was 40. If you're not 40 yet, you might invent something or create something that you end up being known for. He ended up creating over a hundred iconic characters before his death. Henry Ford, he's on the other side of the picture there, he didn't invent the car until he was 45 years old. He ended up producing 15 million Model T cars before his death. 
That's, that's impressive to me. And Laura Ingalls Wilder, she's on our next page. Perfect, she's over here. Um, she didn't publish a book until she was 65. She published a book known as Little House on the Prairie. She ended up selling 60 million copies of that book. But she didn't write a book at all until she was 65 years old. Anna Marie Roberts Moses, also known as Grandma Moses, she's a famous painter. Um, she didn't start painting until she was 78 years old. But her paintings are worth over a million dollars, and she ended up producing 38 paintings. So if you're not 78 yet, you still may not have done everything that you're here to accomplish. But in our mind, we think, maybe I've missed my moment, maybe I messed up my moment, or maybe it's just too late. If you're still alive, the clock hasn't run out on what God wants to do in you and through you and for you. If you're alive, the clock hasn't run out on how God wants to show up in your life. And I think somewhere in our culture, we believe this lie that if I didn't do it in my 20s, it's too late. If I didn't do it in my 30s, it's too late. If I didn't do it in my 40s, it's too late. If I didn't do it in my 50s, it's too late. And we miss out on some important things because we've dismissed them as if we've already missed every opportunity. Today is the day to take a step of faith. You didn't miss out. It's right now. Now, Abraham and Sarah thought that the clock on their God-sized dream had expired. They thought they had missed it. They thought it was over. They'd given up all hope. And in Genesis chapter 18, in verses 1 through 15, it says this. The Lord appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. And he looked up, and he saw three men standing near him. And when he saw them, he ran from the entrance of his tent to meet them. He bowed to the ground, and he said, My Lord, if I have found favor with you, please do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree. I will bring a bit of bread that you may strengthen yourself. And this is why you passed by your servant's way. Later on, you can continue on. And yes, they replied, do as you have said. So, setting the stage, it's a hot day. Abraham's sitting at the edge of his tent, bored, watching people walk by. He sees three people walking by. And it was customary, if you were a nice person, if you saw travelers, to say, hey, take a break. There weren't water fountains along the way. There weren't rest stops. And so you would invite people in to be refreshed and to eat something and to drink something. So he sees these three people and he thinks, ordinary three people traveling along, I'll invite them in. And so Abraham hurries into the tent and says to Sarah, quick, knead three measures of fine flour and make bread. There were some differing amounts about how much bread this was, but some people said it was as much as 20 pounds of bread. So I was like, man, they really loved bread. These are my kind of people. I love bread. Um, and so Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender choice calf, and he gave it to the young men who hurried to prepare it. And then Abraham took curds and milk as well as the calf he had prepared, and he set them before the man and he served them as they ate under the tree. Now, the men asked him this, Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. They're in the tent, he answered. And the Lord said. So now we're, we're, we're led inside here that these weren't just three ordinary men. This is God speaking. I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Why? Because she was a good wife. Right? If, you're, if your husband has friends over, the wife's at the door to like, make sure he's not bad enough when you're talking about me or complaining about the food I made, right? She's like listening at the door. Um, Abraham and Sarah now 
were old and getting on in years. They're almost 100 years old. That's getting on in years. And so Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. I love when the Bible makes these understatements. Like, she's almost 100 years old. She's past the age of childbearing. Yeah, yeah, we get that. No kidding. So she laughed at herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have the delight of being a mother? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for God? At the appointed time, I will come back to you. And in about a year, she will have a son. And then Sarah, she's like, oh crap, somebody heard that I laughed. You know, she's like nervous. She goes, I did not laugh. But she said that because she was afraid. But he replied, oh no, you did laugh. So I love this passage where it starts out here. God asks Abraham in verse 9, where is your wife, Sarah? Now that's not because God had lost her. It's like, I wonder what happened to her. Are you guys still together? Like, what's going on? He asked this because Abraham had a tendency to be confused about who his wife was. If you follow the history of Abraham, Abraham kept going through these situations where he would go into a town and the, uh, the people in the town would be like, ooh. She's good looking. He's like, she's my sister. And uh, he's like, that way I won't get killed and they won't steal my wife. Or he went to another situation where after God had promised to give them a son and they hadn't been able to have children and Sarah was past the age where she could have children, Sarah was like, why don't you take my handmaiden to be your wife? Even though God had promised that it would come through his wife, Sarah, this promised child. And so when God was saying, where is your wife? He's reminding Abraham, do you know who your wife is? It's not your handmaiden. That's not the woman that I promised to give you a son through. She's not your sister. She's your wife. And she's the one that I promised to send children through. See, God had clearly said that he would have a son through Sarah, but when that no longer made sense to them, they decided to make it happen themselves. Sometimes when it seems like God missed his opportunity to show up, we'll try to make it work without him. You're never going to make a supernatural plan work without a supernatural God. It always ends up being a mess. And God had promised more than a family for Abraham and Sarah. This was bigger than just letting them be parents. He had promised that through their family, he would send a redeemer. He would send a rescuer who would restore the relationship between God and man man named Jesus. And he said, Abraham, you're going to be the start of this special people called the Jews, and they're going to be a special platform for my special person, the Messiah, the rescuer, the savior. And he's going to come in and he's going to restore the relationship between me and humanity. He's going to create a way for you to live in my love forever. So when they saw that their dreams hadn't come true of having a kid. They weren't just sacrificing their dream of being parents and having a family. They were sacrificing the hope of the world to know and experience the love of God. And so they, they took a shortcut. They thought the end justifies the means. Like God had promised this, it hadn't happened, and Sarah can't have kids anymore, so it must never going to be. So let's just take it into our own hands. Let's Try our own way. Faith is always the means to get the end that God wants us to have. And they tried to do something that didn't require faith 
it ended up being a mess. And now they're past that. And he still hasn't had the promised child from Sarah like God had promised. And you see in verses 10 and 11, Sarah now is very old and past the age of childbearing. See, Sarah looked at the situation with human understanding and decided it was too late. It's past the opportunity for God to act. No son was coming. She looked at all the reasons it could not work instead of looking at the God who can do the impossible. She looked around at every other woman and she's like, I don't see any women having kids after 90. So she says, not going to happen. She decided to look at every reason why it could work instead of looking at the one reason it could. She looked around and she said, most of my, um, my family, most of my friends, they had kids in their teens, in their 20s, in their 30s. I'm well past that. When I was in Bible college, the dean of students, he stood up repeatedly and said this. He says, never again will you find such a gathering of young Christian men and women who are at the perfect age for marriage. And he says, if you don't get married before you leave here, when you graduate, you probably never will get married. He said that all the time. And most of my peers, most of my friends in my class, they were either married or engaged when we left college. When I left college, I was like, I had a couple of dates and they went bad. Like, I'm not, yeah, I hadn't met Darby yet. And, um, but I thought to myself, you know what? This guy told me, if you don't get married here, if you don't get engaged here, you probably never will. And I'm like, I guess he knows. He's older than me. He's wiser. Um, and I, there's always people telling us, if you don't do it now, if you don't do it in this period, if you don't do it in this window, it'll never happen. You know, in church planting, they say, if your church hasn't reached financial sustainability by year three, it probably never will. Why is that? Like, why does it have to be just because you said that? Can't God do whatever he wants? They say, if your church plant hasn't planted another church by year four, you probably never will. Except for God, right? Like, I don't have to follow your statistics just because that's the way it usually goes. You see, with God, all bets are off. And maybe some voice says at your age you will never find love, or you will never accomplish your purpose, or you will never pursue your dream. Tell those voices to shut up. They don't know what they're saying. Because if there is a loving, good, all-powerful God, all bets are off. That's only true, those voices are only true if there isn't an all-powerful God who is with you and for you. And we see here that Sarah, her response to this, this idea that within a year she'll have a baby boy in her arms, she laughs. But it is not a hearty laugh. Have you ever seen people who laugh, but it's not a happy laugh? It's like a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's like a miserable laugh. She didn't cry here when she thought about holding a baby in her hands. She laughed, a rejected scoff. She was way past tears at this point in her life. She had come to terms with the fact that she would never have a son. She had resigned herself to defeat. She was past tears. She was just a bitterness and brokenness and disappointment at this point. She had determined that because victory had not come on her timetable, that it was never going to come. How often do we get depressed and discouraged? Not because God said, no, I'm never going to do that, but because he said, no, I'm not going to do it on your timetable. I'm not going to do it when you want it. I'm not going to do it when you expected it. 
In Isaiah 55, 8-9, God says to the prophet Isaiah, My thoughts and my ways are nothing like the way you think and act, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and ways higher than the way you think and act. And most of the time, we expect God to act and behave in a way that makes sense to us. Because I want to make sure, God, that you're behaving as you should. Because I really want to be in charge of you. And God says, listen, I'm playing on a whole nother level that you don't even get. Now, God, previous to this, when he had promised to make Abraham and Sarah into a great nation and give them a promised son who would ultimately be the start of a family who would bring the Messiah, Jesus, God renamed Abraham and Sarah to mother and father of a great nation. He gave them these new names. They were Abram and Sarai. And he gave them new names to represent these new roles they would have as father and mother. And so every time someone called them by name, every time someone called them by name, their hearts dropped. It was a reminder of what they didn't have. So imagine if you really wanted this promotion. And you wanted it so much that people actually changed your name to the name of the promotion, but you didn't get it. And so every time someone called out to you, they're like, hey, director of marketing, but you were still working in the building. And they said, hey, director of marketing, it would be like someone slapping you across the face, right? It'd be like somebody saying, it was a constant reminder of what you didn't have and what you wanted. God intended for the name to be hopeful as a promise, but to them, in their misery, it seemed hateful. And then you see here in verses 13 and 15 that God says, why did you laugh? Why are you laughing at God? Sometimes when someone has asked God, or when God has asked someone to take a God-sized dream or to take a step of faith, I laugh at it. I belittle it. I try to excuse it because if they have to take a step of faith, then I'll have to. But if I can belittle their step of faith, well, then it doesn't make me feel so bad for not taking steps of faith of my own, for not chasing God-sized dreams of my own. Often my fear leads to me laughing at the faith of my friends. Don't laugh at God. I love here when Sarah is caught, she denies that she ever did it. And God's like, yes, you did. And she's like, no, I didn't. And he's like, yes, you did. She's like, no, I didn't. And he's like, yes, you did. I just love that. Somehow, to me, that's hilarious that God's like, we are going to settle this because you laughed. And you're going to own up to it. I think God wants us to be honest about our doubts. Like, when we don't believe him, I think he wants us to be honest. Because pretending to have faith isn't the same as having faith. Just saying we have faith isn't the same as acting on faith. Saying we trust God isn't the same as stepping out in Trust. I think we've created a culture in North America where it's very easy to say Christian things without actually taking Christian steps. We can say, I believe Jesus in Jesus. I believe he was good. But then we actually don't live and love like he did. We can say, oh, I think that God is good and I can trust the steps he lays out for me. But if we don't actually ever take those steps, do we really trust him? See, it's easy to trust God if all it requires is words. It's hard to trust God when it also requires action. True faith always involves stepping out on faith, not saying you'll step out on faith someday somewhere. And so God here makes this great statement. He says, is anything impossible for the Lord? Is anything too hard for me? See, sometimes God has to let the clock run out on our God-sized dream 
because our tendency is to give glory to luck or chance rather than God. I think most of the time when something goes right in our life, we think, oh, it just happened. That wasn't God at work. Sometimes he has to make our dream impossible so when it happens, we know it was him and it wasn't us. It wasn't the universe. It wasn't luck. It was a loving, all-powerful God at work in our lives and at work in our world. Often we give up on our God-sized dream because it didn't happen when we expected it to or how we expected it to. When something miraculous happens in the way that we expect, we tend to assume it was ordinary and not supernatural. See, I believe that your life and my life are drowning in the grace of God, the goodness that we don't deserve. And every day there's all these good things happening to us and happening to the people that we love. And we just assume, I mean, that's just life. The sun's shining, it's a beautiful day, I have food to eat, wonderful things are happening. Oh, I just deserve that. That just naturally happens. That is God showering good into your life. And sometimes God has to bring us up against something impossible so that we remember that everything we, good we have comes from Him. See, we mistake miracles for the mundane all the time. And because they happen in expected ways at expected times, we don't think they originate from God. You your life and my life is overflowing with the miraculous goodness of God, but so often we just call it a Monday. We don't even think about how he's working, and so sometimes he allows our dreams to go past an expiration date, to go past the end of a game, so he can remind us that it's he who is at work in our lives. A loving God is fighting for you. He's fighting to make you like his son. And we see here where this good God was fighting for Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis 21, it's about a year later now. He promised, in about a year, you'll be holding a baby in your arms. And the Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time that God had told him. And Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, he named him Isaac. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God has commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And listen to what Sarah says. God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have born a son for him in his old age. See, sometimes God holds off on your God-sized dreams so that when his miraculous answer comes, it can benefit more people than just you. If Abraham and Sarah had had a kid when they were 30, people would have been like, okay, nice. Congrats, you got a kid. Here's a wedding, uh, a shower present. Not a wedding present, but a bridal, uh, baby shower present. I know these things. Um, but many times God holds off because this story was a story that not only resonated to her, her entire community, and the entire nation of Israel, it's a story that still resonates today. Almost 4,000 years later. We're still reading about this lady named Sarah, and we're still hoping that there's a good God, because she had to wait. God wants to give you something so good, it's too good to keep to yourself. See, there's a biblical principle here. God always blesses a person in order to bless a people. God never wants to give you something good just so you can hold on to it and say, well, I'm comfortable and happy now. He wants to give you something so good it overflows out of you into other people. 
He wants to fill you with so much laughter that everyone who hears about it will laugh with you. In Luke 22, 32, Jesus is about to be betrayed, and he says to Peter, Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Why? When you come back, I want you to encourage the others. So many times God brings us to something, praying for our faith not to fail, so that when we get through it, we can encourage others. Can you imagine what Sarah would say to someone who is facing something that seemed insurmountable? And she'd say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen in your situation, but I know this. I'm holding a baby in my arms, and I'm 100 years old. If this can happen, anything can happen. All bets are off. The whole foundation of Christianity is that a dead man got up, came back to life, and walked out into the world. If that happened, all bets are off. Anything can happen. Sarah, who once laughed out of scorn and bitterness, now laughed so much that everyone who encountered her began to laugh with her. Everyone who heard her story began to laugh with joy. And I love this. She named her son Isaac. The name Isaac means laughter. Every time she called him, it was a reminder that she had laughed in disappointment and despair. And now she laughed in joy and in fulfillment, in belief. Everyone she met heard about the goodness of God because God had done such a good thing in her life that talking about it was easy. It was natural. If she had had Isaac when she was young, we wouldn't even have her story recorded here. We wouldn't even probably remember it. But because she suffered a great deal, she had a greater joy, a joy that gives us hope even now today as we See, God never sends the same wave twice. Every wave that crashes against the ocean is unique. He's a God who creates new things. And I think too often we compare our story to someone else and we say, well, they did this at this age, or they did this like this, or they did this, or they've achieved this, and I need at this age to have this, or have these things, or I need to reach this level. God's telling an original story with you. You don't have to be like everybody else. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. You're you. You're one of a kind unique. God created you to tell an original story with you about his goodness and his faithfulness. Have you given up on a God-sized dream? Maybe you started on it and you gave up on it. Maybe you've thought about it a long time but you've never wanted to take the leap. Maybe you've decided it's past its expiration date. God hasn't given up on your God-sized dream, even if you have. Last week, Debbie shared with us that even when we're faithless, God is faithful. Past the expiration date is his favorite moment to show up and show off so you can share his goodness with others. So we have four questions at the end of our messages in this series about faith. The first question is, what did you hear? Maybe it's something I said. Maybe it's something you heard out of Scripture. Maybe it's something that the Holy Spirit spoke into your heart. Maybe it's a reminder about a God-sized dream or a step of faith you need to take. Number two, what do you need to do? Because it's easy to say, well, I heard this, but I don't want to do anything with it. So I'm going to shove it down and not talk about it, not think about it. What do you need to do because of what you've heard? 
When will you do it? Because if you're like me, you'll say, I'm going to do it someday. When it's easy, when it's convenient, when I'm less stressed, when I have less to do, set a time to do it and get it done. And finally, who will help you? You never have to take a step of faith by yourself. There's always people who come alongside you and help you and hold you up and encourage you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the story of Abraham and Sarah. And Lord, thank you that you allowed them to suffer because their suffering brings hope to my waiting and suffering. Lord, because they suffered, I have hope that a good God does not ignore suffering, but he intervenes. And that the laughter that came after the tears was greater than the tears that came before the laughter. And God, I pray that you will fill our hearts with hope, that we take bold steps of faith because we believe fundamentally that you are good. Even when we don't understand everything that's happening right here in the right now, we know that you are good and there's laughter on the other side. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.